Greetings and salutations, sports fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. It's time, as always, for another marvelous and glorious edition of Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. I, as always, your ace of Tennessee sports podcasting, your humble yet glorious host, Michael Shibley. Hope you guys have had a wonderful week. My goodness, of course, there is still sports galore going on everywhere. It's crazy. I love it. It's fun to just take care of and go through and talk about. Love it. Oh, so pumped about it. Of course, we've got finally champions in the NBA and the NHL. We've got big trades already happening in the free agent market, already starting to go crazy in the NBA. We've got record-setting auctions happening. And then, of course, we got everything going on in the world of professional wrestling and much more to get to. So we're going to dive right on into it. Let's start, of course, with the Women's World Cup happening over in France. It has been great. USA, they have been dominant as no surprise so far, facing both Thailand and Chile. Of course, the women's national team took care of Thailand uh, last week. Of course, that was right around when we were recording the podcast. I mentioned that it was 13 nothing. Easy peasy on that one. Of course, they got a lot of flack for some of the scoring and maybe running up the score and also some of the celebrations that they had. I always try and compare it to what the Dream Team did back, I don't know if any of you guys remember, the 1992 Olympic Dream Team of Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, and more and more. All these just great, great talent. Chris Mullen and... Uh, you know, Patrick Ewing and all these guys. It was just phenomenal. Clyde the Glide Drexler, Hall of Famers, so many of them. Some For some weird reason, Christian Leitner was in there too, and not Isaiah Thomas. That's beside the point. Anyway, they outscored, I think, all their opponents by 350 points or something like that in an eight-game tournament. And they weren't getting just any, and they're dunking on people's faces all day long. Charles Barkley throwing elbows, doing all types of crazy things. Now, the big thing is, and this is the thing everybody has to keep an eye on, they won. So if the U.S. is going to keep with going with some of these celebrations, and they toned it down a lot against Chile, they only scored three goals. Carly Lloyd did kind of do almost a trolling, like rub salt in the wound and bring attention to it by just doing a slow golf clap style celebration. So that's fine. They got to win. The women's soccer team's got to win. They've got a big game coming up against Sweden. But, of course, they took care of Chile. Not as many goals, but they still just dominated the game against Chile. I mean, their their possession was 68% of the time. They had 26 shots, 9 of them on goal. They had 15 corner kicks. Chile had one shot, one corner kick. So you can, again, see how just completely dominant they were. Carly Lloyd had two goals. Uh, She's now third on time on the Women's World Cup scoring list on the U.S. behind uh, Michelle Akers and Abby Wambach. Uh, And she's now had a new record of scoring a goal in six consecutive World Cup games dating back to the previous World Cup in 2015. Also, Julie Ertz scored a goal as well, and these were all in the first half little concern. I don't know how much of a concern it is, but Carly Lloyd did miss a penalty kick in the second half. There were seven changes made to the lineup compared to what happened against Thailand, and all the position players have now gotten some playing time in this Women's World Cup. The only substitutes that have not come in are the backup goalkeepers, which doesn't really happen much, barring some sort of emergency or something weird going on. So the 
women's soccer team, they are already on to the second round. They still have their match against Sweden coming up on Thursday, and that's something to pay attention to. They've both moved into the knockout rounds. They've both beaten Thailand and Chile in their respective matches. They both have six points. They're on to the round of 16, but a lot of this is who wins the group because then technically you get the easier matchup going into that next round, starting in the knockout round, if you win the group. And again, the U.S. has revenge on their mind because Sweden was the ones who knocked them out of the last Olympic tournament in the quarterfinals, and you know they're not happy about that. But I do want to give a tip of the hat to a modern-day gladiator, and that was the Chilean keeper, uh, Christiane Edler, or Endler, because, yes, she allowed three goals, but all the shots that were coming, she made some amazing shots. If she was not in goal, and it was the Thai goalkeeper, again, this probably would have been another double-digit victory for the U.S. women's soccer team. So hats off again to Endler. She plays for the women's side of Paris Saint-Germain. Again, keep that contract going. She is to be commended for how well she did. If they, I don't know if they've ever given away a Golden Glove, which goes to the best goalkeeper of the tournament award uh, for a team that doesn't reach the knockout stage, but she should be under strong consideration for that and how well she has done. But again, the World Cup has been great. It's something awesome just to watch in the middle of the afternoon. Of course, we got all the big games coming up as the last games of these groups are all happening. Again, the U.S. and Sweden are already both in the knockout round. Also teams that have advanced as of this recording on Tuesday. France, Germany, Italy, England, Japan, Canada, the Netherlands, Norway, and Spain are into the knockout round. China is probably in because you do get some third-place teams in some of the groups because it doesn't even out like it does in the Men's World Cup because they only have, they have less groups, so they got to balance it out a little bit. So that's what we've got going on there. But the World Cup, always fun to watch. And of course, it's going to get ramped up. The pressure will get ramped up as we go into next week. And of course, we'll break all of that down on the Modern Day Gladiators uh, Facebook page and of course, Instagram, where I do my daily updates. If you want to check it out with me on social media, again, Modern Day Gladiators on Facebook and Instagram, you can give us a follow there, as well as on Twitter at Michael underscore Shibley. You can check everything out. I do daily updates, hyping everything we've got going on. Again, on the there, you can also leave questions in the comments section. If you want any feedback, I would love to hear from it. And of course, at outlandermedia.net, you can check out all the other great shows that we have here at Modern Day, uh, not at Modern Day Gladiators, the Outlander Media Network, where you can listen to the boys from Haffel, you can listen to DLC Respawn, the Phantasm Podcast, Deadbeat Radio, and m- many more shows to come. You can check out all of that. We've got a great late summer, early fall. We're going to have some new shows added, so be ready for that and to check that out. So that's going to be fabulous. And of course, wherever you listen to your podcast, Podcast, Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Spotify. Wherever you get them, you can download and subscribe. Please, again, subscribe and rate and review and comment. All those things. Those five-star reviews really mean a lot to all of us here at the Outlander Media Network. And, of course, at outlandermedia.net, you can check out all the stuff there in one great little package. You can listen to everything right there. We've got all the podcasts available on that platform as well. So again, thank you guys for listening. Let's move on and talk about finally we have winners in the NBA and the NHL. I was hoping that they would have been able to close it out, but as we talked about last week, both the Blues and the Raptors were not able to close 
the series out at home. They had to go on the road. They did do it, though. Congratulations first to the St. Louis Blues, their first ever championship. It's been 53 years in the making. They win 4-1 to over Boston in Boston in Game 7. I had Boston getting the win because I almost thought the moment was going to be too big for the Blues in a pressure-packed Game 7, but that was not the case. They scored two goals in the first period, and that just kind of sucked the life out of the crowd, especially the second one that happened within the last 10 seconds of the period. Jordan Binnington standing on his head, making some great saves, doing a great job in goal all playoffs long for the Blues. And you have to, and he has been amazing too, because coming off a loss in these playoffs, Jordan Binnington is 14 and two. That's a damn good record to have, and that was probably why the Blues were able to win because he was able to just rebound from a lot of these losses and come in there and just dominate. And that's what he was able to do. And again, hats off to the St. Louis Blues organization. They made a coaching change. They were dead last in January. And they rally back, they make the playoffs, and make this incredible run. And it is one of the it's it's one of the first franchises. They were part of the original NHL expansion. You had the original six. You had the Blackhawks and the Rangers and the Bruins, and you had uh, the, the Canadians and the Maple Leafs and the Red Wings. So you had all those teams. But then you had this other expansion group, and they joined in. And so you have this merging of all of that, and that's where you come in. And the Blues have been part of that. They'd made the Stanley Cup Finals in their first year as a franchise. We talked about that, but it was because all the expansion teams played in one conference, and then the original six played in one conference. And they had not even won a playoff game. The Times, or not playoff game, Stanley Cup um, Finals, they had never even won a game in any of those because they'd gotten swept out by the eventual champion in all of them. So congratulations again to the Blues, and enjoy the win. And hey, it's good to have a winner there in St. Louis besides the Cardinals. And I guess you can credit the Rams for Super Bowl Thirty Four, but the Rams aren't even there anymore. They're back in Los Angeles. So again, good for you, St. Louis. Speaking of another team that needs to celebrate hard it is the Toronto Raptors winning game six 114 to 110 the Raptors went to Oracle and won all three games in Oracle on the road the Warriors were not able to defend their home court of course Kevin Durant was out we talked about that Clay Thompson played great he had 30 points in that final game but then he did tear his ACL at the end of the third quarter and was not able to return And yes, Kawhi Leonard was the series MVP. He had 22 points in this one. There, people are saying, well, because of all the injuries to the Warriors players, you got to put an asterisk by that. No, you don't. The Raptors went and won. That's why trying to do what the Warriors did and win four titles in five NBA finals, it's hard to do. That's why it doesn't happen. And again, yes, there were injuries, but you're not... After uh, this next year, after the next season, you'll remember the Raptors won the series. You're not going to remember how they did it. So just keep an eye on that. I mean, you look at what the Bulls did when Michael and Scotty and Horace Grant and those Bulls won their first championship. Magic Johnson was not 100%. And, and James Worthy was not 100%. So those are things, again, you have to consider. But nobody remembers that. They remember the fact that who won. That's what they do. That's why we always congratulate the winners first here on Modern Day Gladiators, because they're what is going to be remembered, and they should be remembered for that. 
one of the things you have to look at with all of this, with both the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals, was that home teams, they were 3-10. and Which is something just amazing when you look at it. Home court advantage meant nothing in this series. And, and I don't know if it was just the teams putting too much pressure on themselves, or was it the fact that the road team's like, hey, we got nothing to lose, we're on the road, let's just go after them and get it. So that's going to definitely be something to look going forward, especially in the NBA and the NHL where that momentum can be such a big thing. If it starts to change in the NFL too, we'll check that out. But those are the ones really where you've got that best of seven series. I don't really look at it as much in baseball because to me, so much of momentum in baseball is as good as your next starting pitcher. I mean, if your starting pitcher has a bad day, you're going to be done no matter where you're playing. You can be playing on the moon and you guys are out of it. So that's where we'll see. But again, congratulations to the Blues and the Raptors on their championships. Hang those banners high, enjoy the parades, have a great time out there. You guys have earned it. But of course, with the NBA, especially when it comes to the Los Angeles Lakers, you can't even let them have celebrate the parade in time before NBA free agency gets going. The season had barely ended, and NBA free agency, by the way, probably already much more interesting than the NBA regular season had been for the most part, and for most of the playoffs, really, when you look at it. But it has happened, and of course it involves LeBron and the Lakers. Anthony Davis has been traded to the Lakers from the Pelicans. He joins LeBron, and he goes. Um, Anthony Davis goes there, And the Pelicans for uh, Anthony Davis received three Lakers players, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart. I was actually very surprised that Kyle Kuzma was also not part of it. The fact that the Lakers were able to hang on to him I thought was huge. But then you also have a bunch of first-round draft picks. Uh, The Pelicans are getting the fourth pick of this draft that is happening later this week. Um, They already have the first where they're taking Zion, and then we'll see what happens. Are they going to trade that pick? Are they going to pick somebody? We'll see. Is it going to be like Cody Bell from North Carolina? We'll break all of that down when all of that becomes available. But then they're also going to get two other first-round picks throughout uh, the next few years because there's protected picks and flipping and all this other stuff. So I think the Pelicans, if they play their cards right, can be a factor in the coming years. I don't think they're going to be a factor in the next maybe two or even three years. Yes, Zion Williams could be everything we hope he's going to be. They can bank on that and see that he draws a crowd and is also just an amazing world-changing player. But you have to keep this in mind. Even the great players still need a while to acclimate to the NBA. LeBron didn't make the playoffs until his third season. Michael Jordan, when he did make the playoffs, I think two out of the three first years, they were swept out of the first round of the playoffs. So it takes a little bit. This is going to be, obviously, a very young team with Drew Holiday and Zion and whoever else they're going to get. I mean, Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart, I think, are all in their early 20s. So, again, patience, but I do think if you build through the draft properly, even though those are going to be Laker picks, which you have to consider with Anthony Davis and LeBron James playing, they're going to be late first-round picks. I still think if the Pelicans play their cards right, they can be a factor in the years to come, but they're going to have to be patient. They're going to have to see how Zion, because if Zion pans out, people are going to want to play with him. Now we'll see again how NBA free agency works and whether Zion wants to stay in New Orleans or not. 
but it's going to be really interesting. Free agency is always so interesting. Now, again, we here at Modern Day Gladiators are not going to sit here and make predictions and guess and do a bunch of hypotheticals. I'm not part of that. I don't have enough time to think of hypothetical scenarios. I'm going to wait until we get facts of who's in and who's out, just like this with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. We know that. It's been reported. It's out there. The trade is not going to be finalized until July 6th when it can happen, but it's still been pretty much confirmed, so we're going with that. But what this also signals for the Lakers is, and they were even early betting favorites to win the NBA championship. I think a lot of that, again, is familiarity with LeBron James, but also the fact that, again, Kevin Durant and Klay Thompson are both not playing for the Warriors next year. And and that doesn't even matter if they sign with another team. Obviously, they're not going to be there, but they're both injured and pretty much out for the next season. So the Warriors are probably not going to be a factor. I still think they're going to make the playoffs because Steph Curry can still bomb it from so many places. And Draymond Green is still a really good player, but they're going to have to work other guys in there. Andre Iguodala is getting very old at this point, still playing very well, but he's also old. So, again, those are things to consider. So the West can be wide open. We can see dysfunction with the Houston Rockets. But if these guys make their plays right, the Utah Jazz are right in it. The Denver Nuggets are right in it. The Denver Nuggets aren't going anywhere. Portland, the Trailblazers, can also make a run. The West, for the first time, I think in a long time, is going to be a very exciting and up-and-down thing. I don't think LeBron and AD are going to be an automatic Because, again, you've got all these teams vying for position. We'll see where free agency shakes everybody out. And we'll see if the Lakers are able to make a play and get Kemba Walker away from the Charlotte Hornets, then we'll reconsider all of that. But as of right now, the West is wide open, which is going to be a lot of fun. So, But that's it. I'm excited to see where it all goes in the summer. That's why the NBA, you can't shut up about it sometimes because, again, free agency during the summer with the NBA is at least going to keep our interest in something up until, of course, NFL training camp gets going, and then it's all football all the time. But we're going to take a break here as that wraps up the first segment here on Modern Day Gladiators. But we'll be back with the U.S. Open and everything else in shibbles and bits in the world of wrestling right after this. You're listening to Modern Day Gladiators on the Outlander Media Network. Yes, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Modern Day Gladiators here on the Outlander Media Network. You hear the music, you know it's time for shivels and bits, but it's also time if you need to get a good shirt for your company, your business, your comedy troupe, anything, any group or anything that you need, you can work with Joe Shirt. They are a locally owned company here in Knoxville that prints banners and mugs and of course shirts, and they are beautifully comfortable shirts, they're great shells. They've got a lot of ideas and things that can help you out and come up with a design that's going to help your brand. So you need to check them out at joeshirt.com. We've got a lot of great merch coming through Joe Shirt that's going to come here to the modern, uh, modern day gladiators and, of course, everybody in the Outlander media family. 
So check all of that out. And again, if you need help with your business, check them out at joeshirt.com. They're a big help. And of course, if you're here in Knoxville, if you're a local business, they're definitely going to be able to get that right design and help your business locally. And that saves on shipping and all of that great stuff. So check them out. Again, joeshirt.com. But let's dive right in to what we got going on here in shibbles and bits and of course it was father's day over the weekend happy father's day to my dad and i know he spent time like he always does watching the u.s open at beautiful pebble beach it was interesting this year at pebble beach uh there was just that nice you know pacific mist and cloud that low cloud hang over so there was no sun at all there's very little wind so it, it, it kept scoring high i mean this was one of the highest scoring or I guess low would be the proper term, uh, low scoring in the U.S. Open as a hats off again, as we always congratulate the winners first. We'll talk about everybody else afterward, but congratulations to Gary Woodland uh, for winning his first ever major, winning the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, and he did it in grand fashion, sinking a 30-foot birdie putt on the 18th hole to give him a three-shot win over runner-up Brooks Kepka, who was trying to become the first guy since, I think, the 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 uh, 19 teens to win a third straight United States Open, so something that had not been done in over a century. He was trying to get that done. Uh, he came in second, and it's amazing because, again, uh, Gary Woodland had a two under final round, so he was minus 13 under par for the tournament, which is the lowest ever in the six U.S. Opens at Pebble Beach. It even beat Tiger's 2000 uh, ra uh, tournament there at Pebble Beach by one stroke, but Tiger lapped the field. He won that tournament by 15 shots, so you have to keep that in perspective. Uh, Woodland only won by three. He still won, so again, that's what really matters with this. But Kepka, he had a minus three round on a three under par round for his final round, finishing at 10 under par. He is the first golfer ever in the U.S. Open history to score in the 60s in all four rounds and not win. But Woodland was just clutching the final round. Kepka kept creeping up on him and making plays, but Woodland was able to respond. He made just a beautiful 263-yard three-wood on 14 that got him there and got him in contention to birdie on, on just a great shot uphill. Again, those rolling, those cliffs off the Pacific Ocean there at beautiful Pebble Beach. Also, another great shot is on 17 where there was a, a mound on the green or around the green there so he's on the green and instead of putting he chipped over the mound and got it to just out of tap in range there on 17 again going down in history as 17 has now had three immortal shots happen on 17 for the winners of the u.s open you talk about woodland here with that just little chip off the green then you, of course, had Tom Watson with his immortal chip in in 1982 where he told his caddy, his caddy was just like, just get it close. And he's like, I'm not going to get it close. I'm going to sink this. And he, and he went out and sunk it, and he ended up winning and beating Jack Nicklaus uh, by two strokes in 1982. But then, of course, Jack Nicklaus himself, 10 years before, in 1972, hit a one iron inches from the cup at 17. He felt that his grip and everything was just a little off on his backswing, so he adjusted his swing he adjusted his grip and everything in the middle of his swing and was able to nail that one iron inches from the cup and go on to win his U.S. Open there as well. Woodland, of course, though, 
now it's being 2019, he won two and a quarter million dollars for winning the U.S. Open. This was great for him. Woodland was, again, finally able to close out a tournament. He had had the 54-hole lead seven times before this and was not able to win any of them. So the fact that he was able to get this one was great. 31 players finished under par. Again, with little sun and no wind, it made scoring very easy to keep the numbers low out there. Of course, and that includes Tiger Woods, who did, uh, he started off the final round great, birdie, or well, not, not great, I'm getting all mixed up here, I can't read my notes apparently here today, but he tied for 21st, never really a factor, just couldn't get the scoring consistent, especially on the final round, he bogeyed four of his first six holes in the final round, but then he bounced back very well and birdied six out of the last 12, though he again finished tied for 21st, never really a factor at all. Uh, he finished 11 shots behind winner Gary Woodland. So congratulations there. As we move on to the British Open uh, next uh, next month. So that should be exciting as well as we wrap up now the major season since they moved the PGA Championship to May. It kind of makes the... the it makes it a little bit better, so then the PGA Championship isn't involved with like the NFL and college football and all of that. The focus can be more on that, which I think is a good idea. And then they've moved the Players' Championship to where the PGA was. Whatever. I think it's a good idea schedule-wise for golf to do that. Moving on to baseball news. This was really cool. I always love, and we talk about history on this show a lot, because you have to, again, understand history to see where you're going with a lot of these. And baseball is phenomenal for things like this because, again, they're the ones who give you the best idea and they have the deepest history of sports here in America. So I'll take that all day long. But a congratulations to some history being made in the world of baseball as on Friday, Indians left fielder Jake Bowers, who'd been batting 209 before this, so below the Mendoza line or right around the Mendoza line, hit for the cycle. But then the day before... Angels designated hitter and all-around pitcher, if he can come back from Tommy John's surgery correctly, Shohei Otani, a hit for the cycle back on Thursday. So he was also the first Japanese-born player to hit for the cycle. But because you had a cycle on Thursday and Friday, this is only the third time in baseball history that cycles had been hit on back-to-back days. The first time it happened was back in 1912, uh... Actually, that was the second time. The first time it happened was 1885. You know, that glorious time 20 years after the Civil War ended. That's how long ago back baseball goes. So that was amazing to see. And again, when you consider things, look at this. In uh, 1885, you had Grover Cleveland as your president. And back in 1912, you had William Howard Taft. So that's to kind of consider who you have in the Oval Office at that point. The last time we had cycles hit on back-to-back days. So a little cool history there in baseball. Other really good news in baseball. David Ortiz has now been upgraded to good condition in the hospital. It was amazing when you look at what happened to Big Poppy again in it. It looks like an attempted assassination attempt on David Ortiz, which thinks back in his home in the Dominican Republic because my thought is who hates David Ortiz besides Yankees fans at this point? Who really hates Big Poppy? But it was amazing. It looks like the suspect was offered like almost $8,000 to carry out the shooting, and they've got, hopefully, it looks like, and again, the process and the legal things happening in 
the Dominican Republic is not what happens here. So again, we have to be patient with a lot of the investigation and everything, but it looks like they've got the masterminds hopefully in custody now and the alleged shooter and all of that stuff. But again, just insane to see what happened with Big Poppy? I mean, everybody in the sports world just knows how much he's tied to Boston and everything. And again, it was just amazing because Ortiz, he suffered injuries to his liver, large intestine, small intestine and membrane that holds the intestines in place. His gallbladder had been removed. This, again, was just everything that happened. The bullet... Uh, did not fragment, which is always good, because you, if that happens, you're in a lot more trouble because it can damage a lot more things, and apparently just missed his aorta and his in, inferior uh, vena cava, the large blood vessels in the same area, because if you hit the aorta, you're pretty much done at that point. So he was beyond lucky, and good medical work initially by doctors in the Dominican Republic, and of course they were able to fly him to uh, back into New England and get him in Boston and get some good medical treatment there as well so that was able to happen and hopefully he will make a full recovery because baseball is better even though he's not playing anymore baseball is better with David Ortiz around so again quick recovery there hopefully for Big Poppy. Speaking of Boston and the Yankees, another big record set in the world of baseball, this one in the memorabilia realm, a Babe Ruth New York Yankees jersey sold at auction for a record $5.64 million. The jersey was from back the 1928 to 1930 period, broke the record by almost a a little over a million dollars for 1920 Ruth jersey. That one was $4.4 million. All this stuff has been, again, supplied by the late Hall of Famer's family and a few other collectors. And of course, for those of you who don't know, Ruth hit 714 career home runs from 1914 to 1935, including a single season record 60 in 1927. Uh, mostly played for his 22 seasons with the Red Sox and the Yankees. So again, one of the all-time greats in the world of baseball, Babe Ruth. That memorabilia, you're going to see it. That's why John Cena came out wearing a Babe Ruth jersey back when he was reenacting his Doctor of Thugonomics character uh, at WrestleMania this past year there in New York, even though WrestleMania was being held in New Jersey, but that's beside the point. So there you have that. Moving on to boxing as we wrap up here, shibbles and bits. Tyson Fury, the English Gypsy King, as he likes to call himself, retaining his lineal heavyweight championship. There are too many titles in heavyweight boxing, in all of boxing, really, when it comes to it. But he retained, uh, beating pretty much tomato can Tom Schwartz of Germany, beat him up, uh, TKO'd him in the second round. The corner was throwing in the towel at the same time the referee was stopping it. He outlanded Schwartz 45-6, to and again, maintaining his uh, lineal heavyweight title. And this, of course, sets up hopefully a rematch uh, between Fury and Deontay Wilder. They had a rematch or their first match ended in a draw back in December of last year. And hopefully they both have other matches coming up here in late 2019. So hopefully then after they win those matches, then we'll have a dream match of heavyweight boxing, hopefully in early 2020. And then, of course, you've got the late rematch between Andy Ruiz Jr. and Anthony Joshua for all the other heavyweight championships. It is good to me just to have heavyweight boxing back in the in the, the discussion. 
because you look at, again, it's never going to be where it was when you talk about Ali and Frazier and Foreman and Ken Norton and all those other guys in that area, and Spinks and, and oh my goodness, all those guys, then Larry Holmes and that, that era, it's never going to be like that, and Mike Tyson even. It's never going to be like that when you've got but when you've got heavyweight champions that like to talk trash and throw leather and knock guys out and do things like that it's great to see in the world of fight sports yes MMA has done wonderful with their genre and getting people into the fight game that way as well but man heavyweight boxing is something so many old timers remember and everything like that. So hopefully we'll see, again, that Tyson Fury-Deontay Wilder matchup, and then maybe Anthony Joshua or Ruiz will fight one of them too. Should be great. You got all these guys who throw leather. It's great to see. So love to see heavyweight boxing, at least in the realm of conversation, and not just an outlier at this point. Speaking of an outlier who I wish I would just go away and had been living very quietly since he was released from prison back in 2017, not the case apparently anymore, as now O.J. Simpson has joined Twitter. Yes, the juice is on Twitter, unfortunately. We talked about this a little bit on one of the Modern Day Gladiators daily updates, but now it has come true. He launched a Twitter account with a video post Again, for those of you who don't know, and you must all be the really young ones, as we're just celebrating the 25th anniversary of the Immortal Bronco chase down the L.A. freeways, just check that out. Check out the ESPN documentary they did, the 30 for 30 documentary they did on, I think it was, yeah, the June 17th, 1994, where the O.J. Simpson Bronco chase went along with the start of the World Cup, Arnold Palmer's last round of competitive U.S. Open play. You had uh, the Knicks and the Knicks and Rockets in the NBA Finals in Game 5. You had a lot of things just going on at the same time, and this was just amazing. Of course, the O.J., I don't know, you know, making the run with A.C. where he was under suspicion and a warrant was out for his arrest for the murder of Nicole Brown, his ex-wife, and Ron Goldman, a waiter. So, and again, of course, the trial. You can check out any of the media on that. I mean, Run for His Life, The People versus O.J. Simpson. Of course, O.J. Made in America, a fantastic documentary that won an Oscar for ESPN on that, just a, an immortal, uh, just like multi-part series about everything that happened there. That was amazing. But anyway, OJ's come out through 2 a.m. on Sunday. Simpson had more than 400,000 followers, releasing a video saying, I've got some things to straighten out. He said, you know, again, he's 71 years old at this point. He's been living in Las Vegas And again, he said he was acquitted of it, which again, even if that trial was held five years later, he definitely would not have been acquitted. Um, Me, like most of America, think he did it. Very sure that he did it. Um, He was convicted in the civil trial, the wrongful death civil trial, and had to pay $33.5 million for the wrongful deaths of the two victims. Of course, he was in jail for being a part of trying to steal back his merchandise, and all those different things, but he did come out and say on this video also that he's got a little getting even to do, which is horrifying when you think about everything that OJ did 
Um, the only thing, if he really means getting even, I hope that means actually paying the Goldman and Brown family the $33.5 million that you owe him. Because, again, that's that would, to me, be getting even. Because you owe them all that money. So give them the money, OJ, at this point. Why the fact anybody's still paying attention to what OJ's doing at this point is beyond me with the fascination with any of these serial killers. That's why those serial killer documentaries and things that they have on Netflix and all that stuff and people just going crazy and obsessed with it just drives me insane or how they're just attached these serial killers it's 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 unbelievable when you see everything else that had happened and again watch those documentaries that ESPN uh did about uh made in America the the people versus OJ Simpson and all that other stuff check all of that out and formulate your own opinion when it comes to that Oh, but the fact that he's going to set some things straight and all that just is horrifying to me. So anyway, the juice is on Twitter. So who knows? Stock's still up with Twitter. So maybe we'll see what happens. But anyway, we're going to move on to something a lot better. And that's the one true sport, professional wrestling, as we move in. And one of the greatest tournaments to happen every summer is happening. And that's the G1 Climax. The, the card and the blocks have been announced. And this is going to be amazing. You've got, again... The way it works, it's a round-robin tournament that happens starting July 6th in Dallas. Block A starts in Dallas, and then it finishes up with the finals happening August 12th in uh, Buakon Hall there in Tokyo. So again, it's going to be an immortal, little over a month-long tournament. you got 20 guys, two blocks. Each block, they fight each other, so you've got nine matches and then you for each person. And then you get two points for a win, one point for a 30-minute draw, zero points for a loss. And again, let me announce the blocks real quick because these are stacked. Block A, Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Evil and Sonata, Bad Luck Fale, Lance Archer, Will Ospreay, and Kenta, formerly known as Hideo Itami in NXT. Meanwhile, on Block B, you've got Tetsuya Naito, Tomohiro Ishii, Juice Robinson, Toro Yano, the Sublime Master Thief, Jay White... The Switchblade, Jeff Cobb, Shingo Takagi, Taichi, and John Moxley, formerly of Dean Ambrose. So these are just stacked blocks. I am excited to see it. Again, Block A getting underway here in Dallas. You need to check that out if you're in the area. And one of the main ones from that first block is, again, a renewal of one of the best rivalries ever in professional wrestling, especially in this last century. Kazuchika Okada versus Hiroshi Tanahashi is going to be your main event. That's going to be amazing. You also have just, again, on this block, Will Ospreay, who's just been amazing in the last matches he's had against both Dragon Lee and Shingo Takagi in the best of the Super Juniors. Evil and Sonata have to face each other, part of the Los Inglenavas de Japón stable. Kotobushi is amazing in everything that he does. Again, Zack Sabre Jr. is a great... Uh, tournament wrestler. Then you look at Block B. Naito looks like the favorite to win that one. But again, you can't count out Jay White in cheating to win so many of those matches. You got Tomohiro Ishii, who is a hard hitter, strong style guy. I love every match that he's in. It's fun to see Shingo Takage, who hopefully will make the run to heavyweight. Then you've got John Moxley, who again Dean Ambrose. He's in the G1. These are some great matches. I can't wait to see him against all of these guys. I'm excited to see all of that. And again, the blocks have been announced. Everything is going to get shaped up, and it starts July 6. We'll talk more about the tournament as it gets nearer there here on Modern Day Gladiators. And we're going to wrap up, of course. we got to talk WWE. 
because of everything going on, they've got a pay-per-view coming up on Sunday that's pretty much a retread of so much with the main events that happened at WWE Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia, but they don't have Goldberg and The Undertaker. They don't have the prospect, probably, of Brock Lesnar cashing in his money in the bank, so all the part-timers are just going to not... The casual fans aren't going to pay attention to it. It's barely drawing anything when it comes to uh, ticket sales. Like, it's in the Tacoma Dome, which is not a big building by any means, and it's having a tough time selling that one out. Uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe they'll get a lot of walk-ups. Who knows at this point? But then you compare it to AEW's all-out event that's happening in August back at the uh, the Sears Center there in Chicago, and it sold out again in 15 minutes, their next big event. So, again, pay attention to all of that and see where everything is. But let's run down the card. You've got the New Day versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. I'm going to go with... The New Day getting it because Sami Zayn is always going to get pinned, so I'm going with that one. U.S. title on the line, Samoa Joe versus Ricochet. As much as I love Ricochet, I do have Samoa Joe retaining that one. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre with, I'm sure, Shane McMahon getting involved because, of course, he is. I'm going to go with Drew McIntyre getting the win there, obviously with shenanigans. Uh, the WWE Championship on the line, Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler in a steel cage for some reason. I'm going with Kofi Kingston retaining. The SmackDown Women's Championship, Bayley versus Alexa Bliss. I've got Bayley retaining there. I've got Becky Lynch retaining her Raw Women's Championship over Lacey Evans. And then the Universal Championship on the line is Seth Rollins defends against Baron Corbin. We don't know who the special referee is, but from what I've seen, it just looks like Seth Rollins is going to retain there. We'll see how it all shapes out, and of course we'll talk more about that next week here on Modern Day Gladiators. But that's going to wrap up this week. Stay tuned, of course, for all the Modern Day Gladiators daily updates happening on all of social media. Again, check out outlandermedia.net where we've got all of our podcasts. And again, like, subscribe, share. Give us those five-star reviews, please. We will love you forever for every five-star review that we get. And of course, check out Joe's shirt for all of your shirt and other media design needs. Check all of that out at joeshirt.com. We'll see you next week here on Modern Day Gladiators. I've been Michael Shibley. Too sweet. Love you. See you next time.